Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard, and I am joined by my colleague, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And our special guest today is Assemblyman Christopher Ward of San Diego, 78th District. That's right. A Democrat. And you have a very interesting bill. Thank you for, uh, maybe you have more than one, but one we saw really picked our interest. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks I do for joining us I have today. a lot of good bills, but I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. Well, the one we were thinking of was um, AB 1771. Yep. Uh, it was introduced, or I, I, the first history I saw, a piece of history I saw was March 3rd or 4th, I think. Um, and it's had a bit of a go-around. It got re-referred a couple times. Uh, authors have been changed, or at least amended. Uh, where are we on that bill now? What does it do, I guess, is the most important question. Yeah, so it's been introduced. Uh, we did accept one amendment, and it's uh, waiting for its first hearing. Uh, but I, uh, this really came out of uh, – so I'm a, I'm a housing guy, and uh, that's where I came with a lot of experience from my time on San Diego City Council, uh-huh. trying to work on housing solutions because whether you're renting or you are well, being interested in purchasing a home, um, things have gotten very much out of whack. Um, we know that we have a massive challenge with our supply of housing, and yeah. I don't disagree with that. And I've been very supportive of a range of housing solutions that are going to deliver housing supply at all income uh, affordability levels. Um, but there's something else going on in the market that is particularly acute, uh, as we've seen in just the last year or two. Investor buyers are taking up what limited supply we have at increasing rates. And so while there has been some good conversation here in the legislature, about working on supply side and production questions, nobody is talking about speculation that is distorting the market and raising up the prices for the next homeowners. So that's where my bill actually um, comes into play. It would be the, really the first in the nation uh, to try to make sure that we are addressing speculation through tax policy to create a disincentive trained toward investor buyers. Mm-hmm. What, how much would it cost, say, a flipper, someone who wants to flip property, uh, what kind of penalties are in the legislation that would, would uh, you know, guard against that? At least ideally. So right now the bill has a twenty five percent penalty. Well, a twenty five percent surtax mm-hmm. on the profit gain between the point between the prices and the point of sale. So what do I mean by that? So if you purchase a home for a million dollars and then sell it for $1.4 million a short time later. You take that $400,000, that's a $100,000 penalty on top of that. What we're seeing is investor buyers come in and rapidly try to uh, ride the coattails of a hot, hot market sure. and take the equity back out for themselves. Well, that just raises the price for the next person. Now, Traditional house flippers uh, have uh, been sort of the first out of the gate opposing this bill, and I, I do understand that. However, they are contributing to this problem. So you come in, you put in some new flooring, a new coat of paint, you know, sort of you know spruce the house up a little bit, but then you take out record profits out of that. Meanwhile, you're competing with other individuals who are just trying to get into that home. Maybe it's in a maybe it's a little fixer upper, but you intend to be there for twenty or thirty years. You get outbid every single time because people are coming in with all cash offers. And so if my charge is to try to help more Californians get into their home, I'm trying to create a policy that will actually work to their advantage. And the penalty decreases over up to 100% decrease after seven years, right? The that, idea there being the person who buys it lives in it. Right. So the you're idea. trying to create something that will uh, sliding scale the, uh, down over time, uh, something that on the short run will be a major disincentive to short-term 
um, flippers short-term investment interests, yeah. but will not penalize long-term homeowners. You got any estimate as to how many houses proportionally in any given market are sold as a result of flipping or are actually sold to people who are going to live in them? you have any numbers on that? Yeah, let me clarify one thing on the flipping too. You know, there's nothing that prevents somebody who wants to help uh, spruce up a home to work with that homeowner. That happens all the time as well. So sure. if somebody comes in and then they want to partner with a general contractor to do this work, the work is still there. And of course, they can build on a profit margin. That is still there. The difference is, is that same person shouldn't be taking all the equity out of a home for the next homeowner, which is just raising the prices for really the entire community. Um, what do we know about, you know, the incidents? It is wide ranging. It's difficult because government doesn't track who is buying the home. We don't make you check a box and say, are you an investor? Are you a corporation? We have to infer from some of the recorded documents what is going on here. And so we rely primarily on some of the industry's own analysis that shows a range depending on how you measure it. Uh, some have said it's uh, closer to five or 7%. Some are saying it's actually as much as 33% of recent sales are going to investor buyers. So there's a range. It's difficult to ascribe a particular number, but it's greater than zero and it's significant and it is particularly distorting the market. Now, it would show up on your, the penalty would show up at the time you file your taxes, at the time you file your state taxes. That's right. Okay. Um, how would that work vis-a-vis -vis the feds? The feds aren't involved in this at all. So, the, correct. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, the federal government, you know, they have their corporate uh, income tax as well. We reflect on state policy. We, yeah. we, we mirror that as well. Uh, in fact, that's actually a bit of a loophole where some that are a little more savvy can use a 1031 exchange or other ways to be able to diminish their tax liability Ooh. and get out of taxation at all. We're going to record that. I want to remember that part about the, the loophole. I want to know what that is. Well, yeah. And those that are in sort of, you know, investment, oh, no problem. <laughs> those that are, you know, in the investor, they, they know about these options that are available sure. to them. Yeah. Uh, but this would be a California tax that we believe would actually not be uh, subject to that same loophole. Uh -huh. um, so it would be on your California tax form. The FTB uh, would record that. And then that would be uh, essentially an income tax question for the filer. Right. Okay. Hey, Tim, you and I talked earlier about the vacancy the issue, and you'd raised a couple of really yeah. good questions. So one of the things I've seen is that there are a lot of vacant properties. Uh, in fact, John was just commenting that someone had walked on, uh, shared on Twitter that they were walking along in Oakland. There were multiple vacant apartment buildings. And I know that there has been a discussion on the local level in several cities and jurisdictions about a vacancy tax. Is there any thought that there could be a statewide vacancy tax, or is that just something that wouldn't work on a statewide level? As um, far as addressing... It's a great question, and you're right. Oakland actually has a vacancy tax in effect, I think, since 2018 um, that has returned millions of dollars to local causes, um, and I think it forces individuals to put their properties to better use. San Francisco is looking at a ballot measure for this fall. Los Angeles is looking for a ballot measure for this fall. I think that vacancy questions are a little better managed um, at the local uh, or regional levels um, because they can vary so much statewide. Um, but speculation is something that affects us all. The, the market really responds regionally. And when you sort of, you know, walk back a layer from that, it responds statewide. So I, I think that the same principle really should apply uh, across the board. Do you see the housing inventory 
getting better or changing for the better? Is there can well, we, we know our that way out of this crisis to some extent. I can say uh, with one hundred percent certainty. Last year in San Diego County, we had more uh, uh, housing units um, uh, permitted than the year before, uh-huh. uh, and we believe that with some of the work that we're doing, that we are hoping to continue on some of that uh, trajectory. But you know, we're still falling short of our annual goals that we need to really close the deficit that had accumulated over decades. And some of that yeah. is a challenge that we have because we are built out in some areas. Um, and so you are trying to um, smartly redesign some areas that are already a built environment. It's, it's a bit of a challenge. We don't want to induce sprawl. That has its own host of problems as well. So how do we make sure that we are building today's units and making up for this deficit over time? It's, it's tricky. Um, but I do see things heading in a positive direction, but not fast enough. So that's why I wanted to look at this other factor. You'll hear from opposition that say, you know, that this is a distraction, that it will somehow, you know, have adverse effect. It will hurt the market. I don't believe any of that is true. I believe that a lot of those are tied to financial interests that are doing the same activity that, you know, they don't, they don't want to lose the status quo. But I promise you that the status quo is compounding our hot pro- uh, our housing pricing problems, and uh, you know we're either headed to a bubble if we're not already there. That's going to be a, yep. a bigger problem for everybody, or um, we are setting aside the opportunity for home ownership for at least a generation. Well, there- I saw that there had been an amendment that. This does not apply to people that are owner-occupiers, is that? Yeah, that was another uh, sort of immediate reaction from individuals. Well, you know, if I want to buy a home and I had a life event, I had a divorce, I got a a better job and I wanted to trade up in a house, why should I take a penalty? I don't disagree with that. So look, I'm a very open-door author. I want to make sure that we are thinking through all of the different life circumstances and individuals that can be affected by any policy. Um, And that was a bill that we – an amendment that we uh, already took – is to exempt primary owner-occupied uh, homes. Is there uh, the same feeling in your district that we see a lot in Northern California about uh, the NIMBY, the not-in-my-backyard, build housing, build multi-family units, but don't put it near me, put it somewhere else? Does this tension exist down in SoCal as well as up here? It exists, um, but I would say that there's a larger area of agreement where people... Uh, recognize that we have housing affordability problems. And if you can build up housing in a way that delivers on middle income uh, units, then I think you could find more areas of agreement. The problem is, is of course, when you are increasing the cost of land acquisition, which is something yeah. that, you know, investment and speculation actually contributes to, then it is more difficult to be able to sell or rent those at, at market uh, middle income rents. Some of the numbers are amazing. I, uh, my wife's family settled in San Diego in uh, 1957, and they bought a house in a new development for $12,000, which I think was his, he was a uh, high school teacher at that mm-hmm. point, which I think was the same as his annual income. Mm-hmm. And for a number of years, that was sort of a yardstick. Mm-hmm. And another yardstick was, well, don't spend more than a quarter of your income on rent or on, on your mortgage. Now we look at you know houses. I think the median last I saw the median was six hundred and fifty or seven hundred thousand or more. Statewide, yes, and then uh, probably around eight hundred thousand in San Diego County. Wow! So I know people aren't buying houses with eight hundred thousand a year incomes. Uh, 
how do we balance that out over time? Is it balanceable? Are we already in another bubble right now and it's not going to end? How do we, how do we prick the bubble, so to speak? Nobody wants to prick a bubble because you have uh, really horrible effects on um, people that have invested in their homes, okay. uh, right? You know, you're going to see that, that depreciation of your asset that we don't want to happen. Local government rev- revenues are strongly tied to property tax. And okay. so they would have some really, really horrible decisions for, you know, community funding. Um, so my point, that I want to be able to try to, um, you know, sort of lay through this bill is that we need to help stabilize uh, this market. And when you take out, look, we had a 20% increase statewide, 26% increase statewide or in San Diego County, um, increase in pricing of homes. That is just mind mind blowing. Yeah. Um, you know, what we've had supply demand balances for, uh, for decades. And, you know, you would see that tick up five or 7% year over year, but a 26% increase just in last year alone. And this year it's expected to grow another double digit increase. Something else is going on here. And this isn't a terribly unique idea or unique response. This is actually a worldwide problem. And we're seeing other countries use a speculation tax as a targeted disincentive that is showing some effect toward what we're trying to do, which is both stabilize the market and really give an advantage to people that want to buy that home and live into live in that home long term. Germany has had a tax on the books for the, since the 1980s. China recently adopted. New Zealand recently adopted. Certain provinces in Canada have adopted. The United Kingdom is looking at this right now. Uh, we hear often that California is the fifth largest economy in the world. We've got, uh, you know, uh, the, the population and the, and the size of housing stock that we do. So I'm trying to look at something that is actually already in effect or is at least in debate elsewhere because the same issues, the same um, market distortions are happening here. Well, one thing, uh, immediately looking at this or just thinking about the way it, it applies, San Diego is a very desirable place to live. It's a coastal community. How does this differ? How does this problem differ in places like Fresno, in Merced, in places that are more, uh, you know, Central Valley and not, quote unquote, hot places to live? I mean, no one's making a TV show about flipping houses in Merced, probably. Uh, so do you have a sense of how that's playing out in the different communities? Well, they're, they're, first of all, I love all parts of the state, and there's a lot of positive about the Central Valley communities as well. Um, but their communities are also seeing double-digit growth. Uh, again, this is a phenomenon where we are seeing statewide 20% growth in pricing in last year alone, and we're expected to see double-digit growth again this year. And, you know, we saw, especially from some of the COVID realignment or shifting that's been going on, individuals from the Bay Area who want to come out and either live or invest in Sacramento region um, uh, uh, housing stock. Um, this this area alone up here in Sacramento, again, more than 20% growth year over year. Driving the prices here for people leaving there where they're already skyrocketing. Right, exactly. So again, this is why I think it's a um, issue that in all fairness is probably better handled uh, as a statewide response as opposed to leaving it to local areas. Because when you have local, um, when you have a, 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 um, a disparate uh, a treatment of, of a tax issue on a city or a regional basis, um, that then starts to shift the market response in the surrounding regions or surrounding cities. Some people are exempt from capital gains uh, when they buy or sell a house, depending on their age. Are there exemptions for people uh, who might flip a house and they make X dollars and they say that on their tax, um, but they don't have to pay capital gains taxes? So how how does that factor into a 25% penalty, for example? 
Well, so again, it would be something that, you know, applies that penalty to the growth, the profit made from a short-term sale. So at the moment, there is no exemptions uh, based on your age or based on some other characteristic. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm interested, you know, no matter who you are, if you are uh, increasing the price of that same home, um you know, in a short-term period, you are contributing to a market distortion in the uh, market around you. What kind of response are you getting from your colleagues? You're a Democrat. It's a Democrat-controlled legislature, so you have that going into it. But I'm wondering, uh, the reservations out there, or is there satisfaction out there? Do you get a sense this is going to go somewhere? Uh, I think that I've uh, generally there's been a range of opinion. Uh, I think people are open-minded and they would like to learn more. This is something that is a very new approach for how to regulate market pricing in California. Um, and uh, But I, I don't think that there's a, any disagreement that we have a housing affordability challenge here in California. The big question is just whether or not this is something that is worthy of entertaining. In addition to all the production-related issues that we want to be able to to further as well. Uh, this is a, another approach that, that needs to be in the mix. Well, one last question, um, Chris. Is this a ballot measure worthy item at some point? Is this something you want to go statewide and ask voters about, or is this a legislative? I would suspect that if we were able to find a way to put this into law, that uh, there would probably be a referendum uh, finance as well. But, you know, that's not something that, that I'm going to uh, put forward on the outset. Okay. Uh, well, sir, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for your time. Great. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for chatting with us. John, we have to mention this is our first in-person interview. Oh, that's right. I forgot. It is yeah. over two years. Uh, yeah. We're actually in the in this this quote-unquote swing space where they wouldn't let us in. We looked uh, <laughs> a little sketchy, I guess, so they were not. That's great. That's in. a great point. This is, this is we've been doing them, you know, by audio strictly. Then we started doing by Zoom and just recording the audio. So this is actually talking to somebody in person. It's kind of. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's super cool. It's really good to see you guys. Uh, we've had a few in-person meetings, and I think things are working well, um, both uh, here in, in our day-to-day business and generally out in the community. Um, but if I could you know, put a pin on just a, a couple of quick points. Uh, yeah, you sure. know, One, you know, I, I can't we tell can you. We can edit it out later, so it's okay. Go no, th- <laughs> thank you. I, I can't tell you the number of constituents that I run into that get beat out by dozens of uh, all cash offers. It is something that is particularly acute right now. And so I think it really deserves a fair and and strong response from the legislature. And that really is the genesis of this bill. Um, The other thing I would do is just invite people to be open-minded, to recognize that we have a real market problem that we have around us right now. And to look at at the bill, um, I have all the information on a website, www.cahousingspeculation.org, where they can get a fact sheet, they can see some of these tests testimonials. They can even sign up to support the bill itself. And if it does get scheduled for a hearing, we'll be sure to be in touch so that they can call in and weigh in their opinion. Great. Thank you so much, Assemblyman Chris Ward. Thanks for your time and for chatting with us. And today, now, Tim Foster and I are going to come up with who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. And we agree that it is Peter Navarro a longtime professor of economics at UC Irvine, unsuccessful candidate five times in San Diego County over the course of a decade. Um, But this week he got cited for criminal contempt by the committee investigating the January 6th Capitol insurrection, which means that recommendation has been forwarded to the full house, which means he could wind up going to trial if the full house approves it. Tim, what do you think? Uh, yeah, seems like not a good week for Mr. Navarro. Um, 
I, he is an interesting character. You know, I just remember him being this sort of perennial Democratic candidate who never went anywhere. And then suddenly he's in the Trump orbit. And now he's in the crosshairs of the January 6th committee. So yeah, interesting guy. What I, I think a lot of people have a lot of opinions about Peter Navarro. Uh, you're right about the Democrat uh, angle here. He was a longtime Democrat, publicly described himself as a progressive, uh, ran for office five times in San Diego as a Democrat. Uh, he ran for Congress, city council, and board of supervisor. One Democratic consultant I saw quoted in a political story a couple of years ago by Carla Marinucci. Uh, Larry Reamer, the Democratic consultant, described Navarro as the biggest asshole I ever met which is pretty unusual, not only coming from a consultant talking about a former employer, uh, but you can see the anger there from a Democrat. Another well-known Democratic strategist, Bob Mulholland, um, thought that uh, Navarro would do anything to advance his political and personal agendas. But whatever the issue is, he now faces a problem with Congress. If he gets cited for criminal contempt like Steve Bannon was, uh, and is convicted of that, and is, that is approved by the House, he could go to trial uh, before a federal judge, as Steve Bannon will, for essentially the same charge, refusing to testify. And his trial, expect the last couple of weeks, starts July 18th in D.C. Well, congratulations, Mr. Navarro. You're our worst week in California politics. Definitely. You finally won something. You know, it's not funny. We, it's not often we, we find things funny in this, but this one was a funny one. You know, I, okay, it's gallows humor, but it's still funny. So, Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thanks, John. Uh, this is John Howard saying we will talk to you next time around. Thanks again. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.